Welcome to the 232nd installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. When Jeannie Hill was growing up during the 1940s and 50s in southeastern Minnesota, she remembers how repeated flooding in the Whitewater River Valley made it difficult for her family and their neighbors to make a living farming. It not only destroyed crops, buildings, and bridges, but covered the area with countless tons of eroded soil. One year alone, the town of Beaver was swamped more than two dozen times by waters carrying soil loosened from the surrounding hills. Basements were filled with muck and bridges were raised three times in 25 years to keep ahead of growing piles of sediment. Eventually, Beaver was abandoned and became known after that as the buried town of Beaver. The flooding was a result of decades of land abuse, Hillsides have been denuded of trees and other perennial plant cover, and the moldboard plow exposed the soil to the ravages of nature. There was simply nothing to keep torrential rains from sending water and whatever else was along for the ride straight into the valley. Like many other farmers and other residents in the area, Jeannie's family eventually moved out of the Whitewater Valley to escape nature's wrath. That's one reason she's so sensitive about taking care of the soil. In 1974, Jeannie and Everett Hill purchased from a family member 130 acres that sits near the top of a ridge overlooking the Whitewater Valley. For the next few decades, they milked cows as well as raised beef, corn, soybeans, and hay. Jeannie also worked as a teacher and ran a greenhouse business. The land is extremely steep, and from the beginning, the hills emphasized conservation in their farming methods put in place contour strips, grassed waterways, and a pond to manage runoff. In addition, Everett was one of the first farmers in the region to abandon the moldboard plow and convert to no-till production. After years of hard work making a living on the land, the hills began renting out their crop fields and pastures. In 2017, Everett was killed in a farming accident, leaving Jeannie to manage the leases. She soon noticed significant erosion on 32 acres of cropland they were renting out and set out to correct the situation. Jeannie was concerned that the renter, who had been leasing the land for around half a dozen years, wouldn't listen to her as a woman who had not been actively farming the land. It was time for Jeannie to have one of the most difficult conversations a landowner can have with a renter. How can one make sure the soil is being farmed in a way that supports a landowner's stewardship goals while meeting the practical day-to-day challenges a renting farmer faces? Jeannie knew she needed to meet with the renter armed with information about why soil stewardship was important and what methods would work in her region. In 2018, she attended a land stewardship project workshop for landowners who want to figure out ways of encouraging renters to adopt soil-friendly production methods. The workshop included presentations by farmers as well as soil health experts on what methods can help build soil health in the long term and ways of communicating with renters, as well as tips on developing leases that place on paper specific stewardship expectations. Jeannie then contacted Lance Klesig, a resource specialist with the Winona County Soil and Water Conservation District, and invited him to a meeting involving her and the renter. Klesig explained to the renter Jeannie's concerns about soil erosion and ways of utilizing methods such as no-till to protect the fields and build long-term resiliency. He also recommended to Jeannie that she change the rental agreement from a three-year lease to a one-year agreement. Jeannie then specified in the new lease that no-till production would be used on those 32 acres during the following growing season. A year later, when the renter came to renew the contract, Jeannie declined. The farmer had not adopted no-till as was specified in the lease, 
and as a result, erosion was still a significant problem. Jeannie then called Lisa and Eric Klein, area farmers who she had seen speak at a land stewardship project meeting about the soil-friendly methods such as cover cropping, crop rotations, and managed rotational grazing that they use to produce crops and livestock. The Kleins recently wrapped up their first growing season renting Jeannie's 32 acres, and despite a year of intense, record-breaking rainstorms, she's happy to report that erosion is no longer a problem on her land. I recently visited the hill farm above the beautiful Whitewater River Valley and sat down to talk with Jeannie about how important it was for her to bring in outside information and expertise when preparing to have that difficult conversation with her former renter. She started out describing some of the soil conservation methods the hills had put in place over the years and why they were so important. Jeannie then provided some tips to landowners who are trying to relay a stewardship message to their renters. This is extremely hilly land. I mean, there's probably not a piece on here that's flat and it's probably all highly erodible from what I can tell here. We're kind of above the Whitewater River Valley and, yeah. and all that. So it sounds like from the beginning, you guys had really emphasized conservation practices that you yes. realized you were going to have to farm yes. with, the, with the role of the land. Can you talk a little bit more about some of the practices you guys really emphasized uh, over the years? We had to have another pond put in over back because there was some erosion there. And then he was able to get the contour strips because uh, he saw that on the farm where we lived before, where he didn't actually farm, but he saw what was going on, and there was a lot of erosion. And he said, you know, they, they're not doing things right. And so that was one of the things that he was concerned about right away is to get the strips in, rotate crops, and, you know, just different things like that that I really didn't know that much about, but I was aware of what he was doing, and it made sense to me. And he was always checking with the conservationists and finding out that was a given. That wasn't the way we'd always done it, and we just assumed that would carry on. As soon as he was farming full-time, it was a given that, that the conservation strips and whatever conservation uh, things, uh, crop rotations, and all of that, that were just... They were part of it. And if he ever had any question about doing something, he would go and ask someone. As I think he was one of the first ones in this area to do no-till. And he had talked with um, the implement dealer over in Altura because he knew them very well, and, and they talked about this new equipment coming out and how important it was. And um, it just kind of made sense to him to do that. He started doing that, too. And there were people around that thought it was kind of strange, but he didn't care. He felt like he knew enough what he was doing. He was going to do it. He didn't try to tell anybody else, you know, that's what you need to do. He just, yeah. Did. Yeah. He just did it. And so, actually, I went out to see how it worked. I said, I don't, I'm not sure what you're talking about. Yeah. So he showed me the equipment, and I said, oh, I see. You know, and he said it, you know, how it showed me how it worked. And so it made sense. I just saw it once and I knew what he was doing. So after he was gone, I was pretty much aware of everything he was doing. He'd talk about it. He'd tell me or he'd say, do you want to go along to the conservation office, whatever. But I, I was a teacher. I taught for 25 years and then I started my own business here on the farm. I had a greenhouse for 12 years. But anyway... I was here, and so we did talk about the issues that come up about farming and so on. So after he passed, then it was 
up to me, and we had the same renter, and we noticed my son was here. Well, I have two sons, and they both told me I needed to check because they could see erosion. And so sure enough, I went out and I took some pictures and there was significant erosion. And it hadn't been there before. So my younger son said, well, I remember dad talking to the renter about, you know, you can't go across those waterways. You have to pull up your planters or whatever going across there. And he said, I remember he was upset with him and he got it straightened around. So he was always monitoring and watching what was going on. Okay, so he's gone, and I'm just assuming he knows what he's supposed to do. So we brought that to his attention, that we saw some erosion. He said, well, I can fix that. I'll I'll bring my tractor over, and I'll fill in that place where it's washed out. So he had, a, I think it was a three-year contract, but anyway, he had another year. And so I uh, pretty much figured out he was not going to listen to me. So I went over to the Lewiston office and I talked to Lance and I asked him if he would come and discuss this issue. And uh, so we set up a time. So we sat down and discussed some things and Lance explained to him, you know, how important the conservation was and could he do no-till. And he said, oh yes, I can do that. And so Lance had told me before we met, he said, you might want to consider going year to year rather than do another three years. So I said, well, that's no problem. He just, uh, he didn't, he didn't know till. He just did whatever. And I went out and checked. And when we had had a heavy rainfall, I could see erosion again. It washed down. It's it's kind of a slope. Washed down there under the fence and across. So when he came uh, with his uh, tax form, the 1099, I think it's called, we visited a little bit. And then I said, I did see some erosion. Well, I didn't see any, he said. I said, well, I did. And I said, um, you didn't no-till. Well, my equipment wasn't compatible with the no-till equipment, so he said, I couldn't do that. But he said, everything went okay. Then he said, um, are we good for next year? And I said, no. And I said, well, remember the discussion we had that you would try no-till? And he said, well, I told you that wouldn't work with my equipment. And I said, but there's erosion. Well, I didn't see any. And I said, well... I discussed this, and so um, I've decided that it isn't going to work, and that ended that renter. I, I just had a feeling that he wasn't going to listen to me because I I just had that feeling. Is when you first saw that erosion, went down and actually witnessed it. How you how did you feel about that? Because you guys, uh, it's just it's evident from seeing this farm, you really take good care of it and it's in a beautiful spot, but that must have been really hard to see well, to see I, that erosion. I didn't really know how to approach that, but being aware was, was the big thing. I thought, you know, I saw it with my own eyes. I mentioned it to my son who comes almost daily here, and he went down. He said, yes, that's pretty bad. And my oldest son, when I told him about <laughs> a discussion that I had with the renter, he said, that's the best thing you could have done, Mom. I'm glad you did. It sounds like you don't have any problem with saying what's on your mind, but it, <laughs> but that must have still been, even though 
you had witnessed the erosion, you weren't happy with it, you knew it wasn't what you it wasn't the way you guys had farmed it and Everett had farmed it. That must have been a really tough conversation, I can imagine, to have with your renter, especially somebody who lives in the neighborhood. I just knew I felt this is something I had to do because suddenly I'm in charge of everything here and I intend to stay here as long as I can. And because of the heritage in his side of the family, it was very important to take care of everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, was, that was his goal. Otherwise, I just um, felt a responsibility. And I didn't really think about it. Be, uh, you know, beforehand, I had made up my mind that this wasn't working, and Lance had said, go with a year-to-year in case. And that was good advice, and I was so glad that I had him come and explain everything. Mm-hmm. So there really wasn't much that I had to say, other than that you didn't comply with the contract, because he had, we had it in writing, that he would do no-till. There wasn't much of a discussion at all. He just assumed. He said, well, we're good to go. And I said, no, we're not. He looked kind of funny, but I just told him, well, we see that you did not follow the terms that we had established. I said, you didn't do no-till. You never said anything to us. So I said, no, I, I can't can't keep going like that. Oh, that's a good point. So I should make that clear. You had had this conversation, it sounds like maybe the year before, about yes. this is a, this is what I would like yes. to put on play, uh, yes. and and you had got that's actually a really key point. You got it in writing this that no till will be adopted, and then he then you were able to say, look, mm-hmm. you didn't do what you said because if you just had a verbal agreement, yeah. that wouldn't have worked as well. It sounds no. like well, and Everett had a written agreement with him, but that didn't specify just the amount of rent mm-hmm. and for three years, whatever. But the fact that Lance was here and explained everything because I just had a feeling he wasn't, whatever I said wasn't going to be that important Mm -hmm. to him because he knew I wasn't out there in the fields with Everett. I I was busy with other things. But to have someone here to explain to him why this is important and the whole bit, because we talked about it here, you know. It wasn't just five minutes and go. I mean, he explained everything thoroughly about the things that need to be done to conserve the soil and take care of it. You don't have to go very far to see, you'd see people farming, you know, they plow right down into the ditches and mm-hmm. and you'd see after a rain, you'd see that the soil was washing right down into the road sometimes and I think, what don't they get? What is it? And, and I have a renter like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what don't you get? But Going back to the land stewardship, um, when the beginning of this was going on, so we went to a couple meetings, and, and at one of the meetings, this young couple knew us not real well. She uh, knew my son, and I don't know if she got the drift somewhere or if she just said if you, she knew my husband was gone, and she said, if you need a renter sometime, let us know. And they're members And I've heard them speak at some of the meetings, and they do not have any problems with what they're doing. And they're very, very conscious of the land and what they're doing with it. And anyway, she had mentioned that to my son. So after I called them and I said, are you interested in renting? If not, I will check with some other people or advertise. Oh, yes. So at a later date, they came over and we discussed everything. That's it. Hmm. There you go. And uh, they do cover crops, and they're very aware of all the things that need to be done. So I'm happy with them. 
Is that the Kleins? Yes. Eric and Lisa Klein? Yes. Yeah. They actually brought the paperwork, and we went over it all here and talked about the land and, and the issues I'd had with it before. And uh, they are training their sons to be involved, so they let us know, let me know that, that uh, if the sons were here, they would have their instructions of what to do. And uh, so, no, they were very open about what it was they were going to be doing. We had... A record-breaking year for rain, torrential rain, and you're pretty happy? You feel like there isn't the erosion that you saw before? Absolutely. It's so much better. So, uh, no, I'm not worried a bit. I've walked out there, and everything looks good. I had heard their testimony before at some of the meetings of mm-hmm. what, what they were doing, and so they're pretty sharp. They know what they're doing. And it is really, a, I guess, a, the fact that you're very happy with what they're doing and not seeing erosion in a year like this. I mean, we're talking right now exactly. on October 3rd, and we have just, many parts of southern Minnesota have broken records for precipitation, and I am seeing erosion on land. I've never seen erosion on. It's just tremendous. So, And you are in a very hilly spot here. So mm-hmm. for you to be happy with what they're doing and not seeing the erosion that you'd seen before, that's, I guess, that, that's a proof in the pudding right there. Yes. And I mentioned the waterways, and that was probably one of the most recent things that Everett had done, is to get the waterways seated down and, and corrected a little bit and all that was taken care of. You really benefited from having some knowledge, first of all, knowing that there were other farmers in the area that you could turn to who were maybe doing practices that you were more that were more to your liking, but also that you could tap into some expertise, soil conservation expertise a little bit. I guess what I'm getting at is you were able to go into that very difficult conversation with some knowledge because if you were thinking well, I don't know who else I'd rent it to. There's nobody else. Or if you didn't know that uh, this is unacceptable erosion and that there are alternatives, that you had been kind of in a position of weakness as far as negotiating and saying, hey, you know what, you didn't do what you wanted to do. Even when you were a year ago saying, this is the kind of practice I'd like to see. It sounds like you were armed with a little bit of knowledge and some expertise that way. Hopefully. (laughs) Hopefully that's true. But I think... I think that Lisa and Eric felt that too, that I knew what I was saying and they knew what they were saying and we we recognized that. And as I said, we had seen each other at these meetings and so I'd heard them speak about their issues and how they were dealing with things. And that just reinforced for me that they did know what they're doing. And it was a relief, actually, to get someone with that kind of knowledge to take over, rent the land. It's only the 32 acres or 32 and a half, but it's still, as you said, it's rolling land and it's steep and it's it has to be taken care of. Do you have advice for anybody else that might be in a position like you? You know, every situation is going to be a little different, but a lot of people are really hesitant to have those tough conversations and do what you did. But do you have any advice for somebody who might be in a situation like that and wants to either try to get their renter to look at some different things and or (laughs) if it doesn't work out that they don't adapt that they aren't open to that switching to another renter do you have any advice on how you kind of prepare for that kind of a conversation or kind of kind of deal with that the place to start is to go to someone that knows the conservation office and if they can't help they'll probably suggest somebody and so you know it's a step at a time 
other than that, I, I guess I learned from talking with Lance, and uh, over the years I knew what was going on here. I didn't ever anticipate <laughs> having a conversation like that, being it's a neighbor, and I thought, well, certain things are right, certain things are wrong. If they um, blame me or don't like what I did, well, too bad. <laughs> it's just, you have to start somewhere, and as I as I've already said, I think um, if you're not sure yourself, you need to check with a local agency to either reinforce or to tell you, give you some ideas of what options you have. So that's what I did. That's the way it went. I didn't really expect that to happen, but I didn't have any problem going ahead because we had the discussion. And I think having the discussion having Lance come and explaining to him, because I, as I've already said, if I had asked him to sit down and I had started to explain about the erosion or anything, he probably would have just laughed, or as it was, he didn't take it seriously anyway, when it's when it's somebody that knows a lot more than I do about it. So I'm glad that, that it went that way, and I have no regrets. I think I did what was right, I appreciated that help. I felt like I was doing the right thing. Even when my son uh, said, he said, I'm really glad you did that. The Land Stewardship Project has fact sheets and numerous resources available for non-operating landowners looking to get soil-friendly practices established on their farmland. Our Conservation Leases Toolkit is a great place to start. To obtain a copy, call Robin Moore at 320-269-2105 or check it out online at landstewardshipproject.org. On our Conservation Leases webpage, you can also sign up for regular updates on ways of developing a stewardship-based lease. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org or you can call 612-722-6377. By the way... It helps us greatly if you can give Ear to the Ground a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever podcast platform you utilize. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening.